Hey, look, it's the Basketball Reasons Podcast, coming fresh off the Lakers' win against Oklahoma City, where no boos could cascade upon the ears of Paul George, much to his pleasure and to Russell Westbrook's pleasure. And for some reason, those two guys and Terrence Ferguson just could not miss from three, but to no avail for the Thunder, as the Lakers walked away with a big win. We saw some things that we liked out of our Lakers in that game, but we'll save that for the second part of this podcast, where I have a special guest, Raj of Unwritten Rules, as you probably know him on Twitter, a fellow member of the Laker Film Room production team, and a pretty prolific and experienced video breakdown man in his own right. I'm pretty sure I actually shouted him out in the countdown of the last episode, but we talk about the game uh, and also about the upcoming matchup against Houston on Saturday, uh, the, the, the matchup that the NBA conspiracy theorists thought might be Bron Bron's return, but alas... And speaking of, and, and my own roommate said this to me too, I, I don't understand why people think everything LeBron does is some orchestrated thing too. Like I understand he's a master of media manipulation, which is hilarious to me because uh, we often villainize him for using the media to control his own message when the media like manipulates people's words to create a message itself. But whatever, I'm not here for that. LeBron's always going to be a villain, so he unfortunately should be used to it by now. And what should you be used to doing by now? Well, that's taking your friend's phones. And rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the Basketball Reasons Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Podpeen, wherever your brain tells your hands to click to give your ears this fire basketball content that your soul desires. That is a great extended metaphor. We call that a conceit. Shout out to AP Latin. If you need convincing, you should go ahead and let the rest of this episode play and decide for yourself what kind of review you want to leave. Hint, it should be a five-star review or a four-star review if you must, if you're having a bad day. But anything less than that, and you're a Celtics fan to me. Like I was saying earlier, however, part two will be partially a preview of the Houston game. And as you all know, all episodes this season will be two-parters, duos, if you will. Eric B and Rakim, Jay and Ye, Jelly and Mayonnaise, if you're Nico Miritich. Yes, he eats jelly and mayo sandwiches. Look it up. I wonder if Julius has tried one. Anyway, I'm recording on Friday, January 18th. Tomorrow, on Saturday, January 19th, the Lakers play the Houston Rockets. So for the first part of this episode, I wanted to go back and revisit one of the first Laker teams I actually paid basketball attention to, not just fan attention to, the 9 team, and talk about how we lost one of the NBA's then, and kind of now, premier 3 and D players uh, to the Rockets, and in turn, stole one of their players. I'm, of course, talking about Trevor Reza and Ron Artest, so... Without further ado, Stephen A., take it away. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. No disrespect whatsoever. Oh, no. Let's take it back to 2009. Though the NBA world was disappointed that the forward-thinking, three-point barrage shooting Orlando Magic robbed us uh, of the Kobe versus LeBron NBA Finals that we would ultimately never get. Uh, all was good in Hollywood, with the Lakers parading uh, another Larry O'Brien trophy around Los Angeles. Now, I don't need to revisit the 09 NBA Finals or season in general, to be honest, but but we will just to sort of paint the picture for the era that, that we're going to talk about for the rest of this episode. So, the Eastern Conference champion, Orlando Magic, known today for, for primarily being a team of versatile defenders and, and shooters, lived up to their name um, 
you know, uh, when compared historically, uh, the, the best defense in the league at the time with a defensive rating of, of 101.9, which would actually still be the best today with the Bucks holding that title with a with a 103.7 notch. I'm not going to do the pace comparison. Don't care that much. Um, but to give you a sense of how different the league was, uh, like I said, they, they were known for shooting threes and they attempted the second most threes a game, throwing up 26.2 uh, shots from long range. Uh, that would actually be good for a bottom five mark today. Fifth worst, actually, in between the Cavs and the Bulls and in close company with teams like the Spurs and the Pacers who legitimately do not care about shooting threes. Uh, Ten years makes a world of difference in the NBA. Uh, and speaking of which, a quick aside, since we're on the topic of ten years making a world of difference, we all know that that 9 team was led by Dwight Howard, who at the time was legitimately discussed a- a- as a comparison for Shaq, so much so that he took on the nickname, the mantle uh, of Superman, lifting it from Shaq himself, a crime that I-, I honestly, I really, truly, honestly believe that Shaq will never get over ever. He used to take shots at Dwight whenever the opportunity afforded itself on like inside the NBA on TNT, like my, my man's was brutal. Anyway, back to Dwight. Uh, he actually he came into the league in 04, and that 09 season was the first time that he had missed a game due to injury when he injured his knee in December after playing 351 consecutive games at center. So he had this kind of a Iron Man mystique to him as well. Uh, he actually ended the season averaging 2.9 blocks a game, almost three blocks a game. That's crazy. And also 13.8 rebounds, uh, leading the league in both. Um, so for fun, I put that season into basketball reference into the, the player season finder and sh- sorted it by win shares, um, averaging 20 points, 2.5 blocks, 13 rebounds, shooting 55% from the field. And it's actually happened more times than I expected. I was hoping to have like some grand conclusion for y'all, but I don't. Uh, but when you sort it by win shares, that season by Dwight, uh, is actually in like the first tier of those performances, uh, the, the high win share performances uh, of like over 14, over over like 13 or so, uh, with company like Shaq, LeBron, Kareem, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, like that tier. So that season was one of the greatest big man performances of all time. Uh, and he also won Defensive Player of the Year that year, which he also did for three consecutive years at the end of his Magic tenure, the first player to ever do that. Um, like I said before, he led the league in blocks and rebounds. Uh, he actually did that twice in a row, the first player to ever do that. So I know Dwight catches a lot of flack nowadays, but I just wanted to take a second to harken back to a simpler time in the NBA and, uh, and give my man his due. I was, I was reading a lot of articles because I was going to go into uh, his Laker tenure, but I was like, nah, that's a whole nother podcast entirely. Um, but a, a lot of it was like he was injured and Kobe wanted him to play through because Powell was playing through a different type of injury, but it's a completely different type of injury. So Kobe was blaming him. Dwight was blaming him. Mitch blamed him for not playing through injury. It was it was just tough, and I understand why he left because everyone was blaming him for the team not doing well, which, granted, they traded away Bynum for him. So a lot was, uh, was you know, hoisted onto his shoulders, a lot of responsibility. He's a powerful dude. With great power comes great responsibility. Shout out Uncle Ben, not the Rice. But... You know, I feel like he didn't he didn't really get a chance uh, to to show what he what he had and what he could do for L.A. And he left and he went to Houston. So speaking of Houston, back to Trevor. Uh, ironically, the Lakers actually traded with the Orlando Magic to get Trevor Ariza uh, at the start of the 07 season. 
Um, it, it actually made sense at the end of the day that Ariza was on the Magic after he started his career with the Knicks. He really fit into the mold of the, of the type of player that the Magic wanted to deploy around Dwight. Uh, you know, that, that versatile three-point shooting defender forward role that, that Hito Turglu, Michael Petris, Rashard Lewis mold. Um, but it was actually the Magic's financial commitment to Lewis um, as well as their desire to play and develop Turgaloo that, that helped them feel like trading Ariza was a worthy gamble. Quick aside again, I wanted to go into that Lewis contract, but not enough time. Again, another podcast entirely. So the Lakers ended up trading Brian Cook and Maurice Evans for, for Trevor Ariza, which worked out well for the Lakers, other than obviously the whole winning a championship thing. I, I always kind of grade trades based on what happens to the players trade involved afterwards on, on the basketball court, obviously. Um, and Brian Cook actually got traded again uh, to the Rockets of all places two years later. Uh, ended up back in L.A. as a Clipper uh, in 2010 uh, and then got traded to the Wizards two years later plus a second-round pick for Swaggy P, who ended up on the Clippers. Um, and that's why I love doing this, uh, going on these tangents, because there's only 30 teams and this stuff always comes full circle. After that, though, he he bounced around the NBA some time in Utah, some time in Detroit, actually some time in Lebanon, some time in Uruguay, Uruguay, if you will, uh, and some time in Japan also. So he turned into quite the journeyman and, and really sad aside, actually, and not to put people's business out there, but it's it's public record. So and, and trying to find out more about Brian Cook and what he was up to, you know, I Googled him and I Googled his wife and his name together, actually, to find out what they were up to and actually found a bankruptcy notice uh, filed uh, a few years ago in California. California, one of the first things that popped up when I searched their names. So prayers up to Brian and his family. Uh, I think people always forget because especially nowadays with, with athletes having such lucrative contracts, crazy contracts, but a lot of professional athletes in America, especially those who come from, you know, circumstances where they're not used to having so much money, they do wind up uh, having financial troubles, keeping up with the life that they once had when the checks were coming in. Uh, so once a Laker, always a Laker. God bless Brian Cook. Hope him and his family, uh, he and his family managed through all that uh, and are okay now. And I, I don't mean to get all dark on y'all, but I discussed Lamar Odom and mental health last year early on in season one. You know I like to do my research. Um, so when I find something like that, I don't like to shy away from those topics, those tough topics, because they are a part of life. And we do get wrapped up in the entertainment, but I try to keep in mind these athletes are real people and they go through real shit. And shit gets real sometimes, to be honest. Uh, anyway, to Maurice Evans and his part in the trade, he actually had a bit of a lighter story. My man got paid, got a, got a nice uh, $7.5 million deal with the Hawks after his uh, great season with the Magic starting at two, retired as a wizard, actually played in the Big Three League for the Killer Threes along with Brian Cook post-bankruptcy and, in fact, is somewhat of a serial entrepreneur, as far as I can tell, with involvement in a couple different startups uh, and was actually a, a vice president of the NBA Players Association. So uh, the yin and the yang of the NBA, I guess, when it comes to the story of those two guys. Uh, I don't know. Back to Trevor Reza, but for real this time. Uh, my man shot 40% from three in those finals, those 9 finals, making one more than Kobe while taking one less throughout that series. Uh, 10 for 24 compared to Kobe's 9. Sorry, 10 for 25 compared to Kobe's 9 for 24. I'm not reading it off the basketball reference page. I was That, that was off the top, so excuse the mistake. Uh, he was fifth in basketball references game score for that series behind your obvious Kobe, Lamar, Derek Fisher, and Powell. So to say he was an integral piece of, that, of the puzzle, of that championship puzzle, would be clear as day. Uh, so when the summer came, 
and it was time to talk contract extension. I guess Mitch Kupchak and the and the Lakers brain trust thought things would be easier than they were, uh, especially with Ariza being from L.A., definitely wanting to stay there. So where was the conflict, and how did Trevor Ariza end up in Houston? Well, that's what we're here to illuminate. Trevor Ariza's agent at the time uh, was a guy by the name of David Lee. Now, David Lee currently has no NBA clients. He's got a couple dudes in the G League, as far as I can tell, um, and, and a lot of overseas guys, almost almost a dozen overseas guys. Um, so good for him, but with all due respect to, to Mr. Lee, this story might prove why few NBA players have signed with him uh, in recent memory. Uh, you see, the Lakers that summer did not have a ton of cap room available, and they had to re-sign Lamar Odom, who was probably a much more integral piece uh, to the team than Trevor Ariza was. And, and Lamar was looking for around $10 million a year at that time. And like I said, he was vital to that team. He was vital to the 2010 team, uh, that, that 2010 championship team that beat Boston, uh, an obligatory f*** the Celtics must go here. Uh, so they thought that Ariza might be amenable to a contract worth the entire mid-level exception, going so far as to make it a five-year deal um, and, and the thought at the time was that Mitch Kupchak wanted to give Ariza 10.5% raises every year. So it would end up starting, the contract would end up starting at a little under $6 million a year and get up to a total value of around 33.6, 33.8, depending on where you read it from. Uh, now, I'm trying my hardest to get through the entire Larry Kuhn CBA FAQ. Uh, currently, the current CBA, but past CBAs are not my strong suit. I'm going to keep it real with y'all. I don't even know if you're allowed to give out MLE contracts with 10.5% raises anymore. And you're certainly not allowed to give that deal for five years. So that contract is, is, a, that contract is a bit of an artifact of its time and it's a bit hard to compare uh, in today's terms. But without any comparison point, it sounds pretty good right now, um, especially for a role player. Um, you know, if, even if you want to say the, the fifth, sixth best player on a championship team, um, shout out head coach Luke Walton. Um, that being said, uh, the Lakers did not want to commit right away that kind of money. I mean, their, their entire mid-level exception for five years um, to, to Trevor. And they wanted him and his agent to test the market first to see what kind of deals teams would offer Trevor Ariza and then respond accordingly. Now, that's not an extremely uncommon tactic. Uh, our very own Magic and Rob did this with Julius Randle this past offseason, of course, until... You know, Aaron Mintz and, and presumably Julius as well took offense and, and asked for his his rights, his free agent rights to be renounced, uh, so he could become an unrestricted free agent, and ironically join the Pelicans, as Rajon Rondo would then leave the Pelicans and join the Lakers for the mid-level exception, and that's exactly what Julius signed for with the Pelicans. History always repeats itself. If you learn anything from this podcast, uh, history always repeats itself. But David Lee did the same thing, took offense to the Lakers' offer. Uh, wanting a contract around a total value of $50 million and pretty much took a hard stance, uh, saying, you know, give me what we want or not. And we know how that worked out for the Lakers. Uh, the next day, the very next day, actually, uh, the team had Kobe Bryant, Lamar Odom, and even Magic Johnson, as some reports on Bleacher Report said at the time, calling Ron Artest. Uh, and the Lakers got their, their starting small forward in the future Metal World Peace for the same exact deal that they offered Ariza. Ironically, Houston then called Trevor Ariza, who signed the exact same five-year mid-level exception deal to go to Houston, as in the same length and the same amount of money, to leave his hometown 
and the team he just won a championship with, and Kobe Bryant. Something tells me that that was not his first desire. I don't know for sure. I don't know Trevor Reza, but it just would make sense that something went wrong with those negotiations, um, and, and and he ended up taking a deal that he didn't want. Now, there were also reports that Toronto and Portland were offering more money. They had the cap space to offer more money, um, but I, I don't understand why he would go to Houston for for less money for the same deal that he turned down with the Lakers if other teams were were offering more money. That's a type of agent damage control like like what happened with Yogi Ferrell uh, last year. But anyway, David Lee is not the only one to blame here, obviously. The Lakers tend to take hardline stances in negotiation and, and prefer to show their strength and decisiveness over their adaptability, at least historically. Like We know that that uh, with the way that they showed Shaq the door, when Shaq got a little bit difficult, and they were like, and Shaq was like, you know, uh, Kobe or me. And they were like, all right, peace. Um, and, and they did the same thing. They, they responded to, to Lamar Odom's disappointment with almost being traded away in the Chris Paul trade, hashtag basketball reasons, um, by, you know, acquiescing quickly to his, his demand, his trade demand, and shipping, away, shipping him away uh, for basically nothing. Uh, the previous regime didn't really show a lot of heart and compassion in the way that they treated their own free agents. And, and thankfully, you know, it didn't cost the Lakers, so to speak, in the, lo- in the long run uh, with LeBron still signing here. But you, but you see what happened with Julius last year, and, you know, it, time is a flat circle. Now, obviously, Laker fans can't complain. Uh, the Lakers went on to win a championship with our test. But that 2010 season would actually be uh, the Pandas' friends' best season with the team. I don't know if you guys remember that that nickname, but excuse me, that name. He changed his name. It's not a nickname. Uh, but his game would essentially like fall off a cliff uh, after that year, just averaging career lows uh, after that. Uh, and, and more short-term moves by the Lakers' front office with a pretty stark disregard for the future would hamper the team's ability to build a sustainable, competitive roster for years to come. And the Lakers would, in fact, pay for it for years until 2018. Um, so you got to wonder what type of difference having a young player like Ariza uh, would have had on those on those post 2010 teams, or at the very least, a, a young player with a with a tradable contract, an asset, uh, and what that could have netted the team. Since Mitch and Jim got so trade happy uh, in those years, in, in an effort to to sort of, you know, make the most of Kobe Bryant's last years. Uh, as for Ariza, he would actually fire David Lee uh, a few years later. Never want to celebrate a man losing his job, but shout out to Ariza for, for doing what you got to do. Uh, and he would actually sign with the Landmark Sports Agency, Landmark Sports Group, um, headlined by agent Rob Palenka, of course. Uh, and then again, changed agents before last year for the Creative Artists Agency, headlined by none other than, you guessed it, Aaron freaking Mintz. You can't make it up. Um now with the Wizards, I doubt Trevor Ariza makes it back to L.A. It's going to be hard uh, for Ariza to push for a buyout from a playoff team, um, especially with Washington really believing in themselves, um, you know, getting Dwight Howard back in a month from his surgery, and uh, this John Wallace push that the team is currently making behind Laker fan fantasy Bradley Beal. Um, but we'll see uh, if, if Rob Palenka and Magic can, can find a way to right Mitch Kupchak and David Lee's wrongs and bring the L.A. kid back home, uh, possibly with a trade. Uh, so today's countdown will be short because I'm trying to get back to my writing, actually, just like my boy Raj, a.k.a. Unwritten Rules, who you will once again hear uh, in a minute after a brief musical interlude. Uh, so I'm going to be writing a piece on this soon. Um, but in the meantime, three, two, one. I got one message, and that's to stop it. 
Stop trying to trade the young core. It is not happening this season. The Lakers signed tradable one-year deals and expirings in the hopes that those would be the players traded at the trade deadline if, if incremental moves need to be made. The Lakers are playing with house money in Bron's first year with the team, and there's no way the team's going to package enough assets to go get someone new uh, now and also have enough assets to create a blockbuster trade in the future, a.k.a. Anthony Davis, and also maintain the salary cap space and roster construction to sign someone this summer. Uh, and, that, and you know they want to do that. Consider this year another year of development. As much as we want to be cynical about LeBron and Magic saying that they'll be patient because they freak out when the Lakers lose, but rightfully so, everyone freaks out when the Lakers lose. It's the Lakers. Everyone just calm down, enjoy the season. Like I said, we're, we're playing with house money, um, and with a win like last night uh, against the OKC Thunder, you got to see that the young guys are developing, that they're growing. Let's just enjoy the ride um, because in all likelihood, we will not... Uh, be watching all of these young guys uh, play for the Lakers in the near future, uh, as you've seen with D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randle. All right, that's the buzzer. I'm out. When I come back, I'll be joined by Raj. We're going to break down what happened last night in OKC and also give our thoughts on the matchup against Houston. But until then, enjoy the smooth sounds of Khans, that's K-O-N-S, and his track, Soul. This be the one, though. Tasting the greatness of this art Take this and break this, it's my heart's lock I need the room till the light shines through Eternally turned in till the earth blooms With the rising of the moon And she and I in tune She goes to hide, I rule the day I rule of her to try and play But I see sunrise on its way So honestly, it's quite okay Uh you never dissed me anyways, you only showed me love Maybe I'm just telepathically getting lines mixed up Cause I know you're in touch, I'm just out of breath I dialed a number straight to God and this is what he said He says, so, your love is eternal, your love is eternal Your love is eternal, so you can just fly Your love is eternal, your love is eternal Your love is eternal, so you can just fly Your soul is eternal, your soul is eternal Your soul is eternal, so you can just fly Welcome back to the Basketball Reasons Podcast, uh, part two of this episode. I have a very special guest on uh, today, and I think this is this is making Basketball Reasons Podcast history because this is the first guest uh, that we have on the show that I've never met in person. So this is awesome. Uh, great experience for me. Uh, welcome to the pod. Raj, you know him as Unwritten Rules. Raj, say what's up to people, man. What's up, man? What's up? <laughs> I appreciate you joining me uh, early in the morning here to, to hop on the pod. Um, it's really an honor and a pleasure. And we have a great game to discuss. Um, oh, yeah. Because the Lakers just did the impossible last night <laughs> and, and beat the Oklahoma City Thunder, a true contender uh, in overtime. Um, so I, I think it was a great game, obviously, for the fans to watch, uh, barring that sort of, I, I don't even know, that 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 terrible first quarter, which I, I don't even want to blame the Lakers for because it definitely seemed like the Thunder couldn't miss for like a solid eight minutes there. Right. Like Terrence Ferguson, who, I mean, he's inc- like he's improved as a shooter, but right. I, I swear he didn't miss at all for a while. Right, he um, tried to play Thompson in that first quarter. Like, seriously, I was like, see, take some notes on this guy because apparently this is who we want you to be. Um, 
What, what, what did you think of our defense in that first quarter? I, I didn't think it was terrible. I just thought the Thunder were just hitting everything. Yeah, I didn't think it was uh, too bad either, actually. Um, we uh, Brandon was actually trying to help out a little bit, which kind of led it to the open shots for uh, Terrence Ferguson. But other than that, they kind of played the style they wanted to. They were trying to get Westbrook to um, take the threes, and he did, and he hit a few. But um, good on them for not to, you know, uh, worry about that as – he, he made a few, but they stuck to their game plan, and it worked out as the game went on. I think, um, I think you're right about that. I think I think it's important because because we start to build news recently about you know not not agreeing with the drop coverages and not not agreeing with the game plan. So when you say like the Lakers stuck with the game plan, I think it's important to realize like. We freak out a lot, especially because Twitter, but but Luke knows what he's doing. Uh, <laughs> that, that is how he got to this position in the first place. Um, but, yeah, it, it seems like, honestly, it seems like Westbrook, like, did not miss from three for a little bit there. Um, but it was cool because the Lakers yeah. sort of got back into it in the second quarter, and a lot of that, a lot of the comeback was spurred on by that bench unit, which was, like, Mo Lance... Svee and Zubats, and that was pretty incredible to see. What, like, what were, what were your thoughts about? Like, what were you thinking when you said when you saw all the starters go out and this lineup of guys who like play on and off just came with it and against against the the team that was third in the West? Right. Yeah, I was a little worried about that lineup, but that was basically just like an energy lineup, you know. And Luke just try to try something to get a spark. And that lineup actually like Svee in that lineup. He plays very solid. He doesn't gamble very much on defense. So he'll move, and then everyone kind of and Mo Mo Wagner, Mo Wagner. You never have to worry about the energy. So you have like a couple guys there where you know you're gonna get the effort. Zubat, and everyone's giving like really good effort. So you know you kind of get some boost. And Josh Hart started to get going, hit a few threes. So that kind of got everyone going. And yeah, it got them in the game. It changed the whole um, look of that game. After the second quarter, they got it down. I believe five points. They went on like an eighteen to two run, I believe. Um in that second quarter. So yeah, it was it was great to see. Yeah. And see them not roll over, you know. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'm sorry, not to go back to the Thunder, but I have the box score in front of me now. So Paul George was five for twelve from three. Westbrook also five for twelve from three. And Ferguson was six for twelve from three. Also not as many mm-hmm. shots, but Patterson was three for four. So I, I feel like when when the team you're playing is just that hot it's really easy to get in your own head. Um, so, so it was it was nice to yeah. see the bench guys, like you say, bring some energy and bring some yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, it can get demoralizing seeing just threes rain on you every single time. And some of those threes were backbreaking, you know, like off of an offensive rebound. They kick it out to Paul George in the corner for three. Like those are those are just really tough. But uh, good on them to keep fighting and uh, not roll over and really got back into this game, made it close at halftime and gave him a chance. Yeah, those those Steven Adams offensive rebounds were just like so brutal. Like I think he had he had seven total. I don't, I don't remember exactly how many he had in the first in the first um half or the first quarter. Yeah. But I do want to mention one thing. I remember that there was a play I, I saw it and I was pissed off immediately and then Bleacher Report like pushed it to my phone where like Russell Westbrook but like, he missed a shot, and then Zubat and somebody else were fighting. Who, who, who's fighting over the, the rebound? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I believe it was Hart and McGee. Oh. So JaVale, uh, he fumbled the ball, actually, and then it went to Westbrook. And Westbrook obviously went and dunked it. Uh, and uh, Luke was really pissed off. He actually pulled McGee uh, for that right after that. So, uh, yeah, that was So two things there. Was. One – the the Bleacher Report like headline was Brody's hustle is undefeated, and I was like, he's a 
slow down because the only reason he was in position to steal that rebound is because he was just sitting there waiting for the play to come back. This man wasn't trying to get back on defense. He, he was not giving any effort at all to get back on defense. So I was like, all right, slow down, slow your roll. Um, but then that point you made about Luke pulling McGee there, and I tweeted this out during the game too, like, it's nice to see, like, I understand we only have two, uh, two sort of, I don't want to say true centers, because Zubac's absolutely a true center, but two so, two of those sort of uh, vertical spacing, like like rim rim running centers, like the, the super athletic centers and, and Tyson and JaVale, but it was nice to see Luke sort of tighten the leash a little bit with guys that, that he usually gives a little bit more leeway, whether that's out of, you know, relationships like, like KCP or whether that's out of just pure necessity, like having JaVale. Um, on the roster, JaVale Tyson on the roster. But it was nice to see him, like, tighten the leash with, with those guys and also loosen it a bit um, with, with guys like Mo. And I think Kuzma's another guy that he sort of tightened the leash with. He, he was – Luke was easy to sub, ready to sub, quick to sub Kuzma out um, when he was doing some of those boneheaded things, like not really passing the ball in transition like he should have. Yeah, definitely. And Kuz had an amazing game as well. He was shooting, like, lights out for three. But, yeah, in that transition, I think um, he took it, like, one on three. And then Josh Hart kind of had his hands up, and Lonzo, I believe, was running on that break, and Luke, I believe, immediately pulled him as well. So, yeah, good to see him um, hold guys accountable, you know, for uh, the principles that he's trying to uh, impress on them. So, yeah, Kuzma, I believe, took a one-on-three layup, which uh, he got pulled immediately for. And it was good to see guys like Sfi get, like, extended run. I feel like he needs more uh, minutes in the rotation. As you said, Mo, um, he can kind of show what he can do, a pick and pop. Pick and pop big um, can really help this team, and I think he hit a three as well tonight. So, yeah, it was total team effort. Um, just skipping forward to the end of the game, a, co- a couple things. One, I loved seeing Lonzo just stay aggressive throughout the game. That was amazing. That that shot that he took at the end of the game, I think we both tweeted about it separately when he just like pulled for the step back with to tie the game. Oh, yeah. or, was that to win the game? Yeah, to t- to- uh, yeah I, believe, I think the score was tied. Not, yeah, I believe uh, we were up or something. Like, I think we were up like. One and then he took a step back okay. and then Hart got the offensive rebound and got fouled and then went and hit two free throws. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm totally fine with that shot by him. Like I want to see more stuff like that out of him. You know, I just uh, kind of go going for it. Um, usually we just put the ball in Brandon's hands and we've kind of seen what that looks like the, the past few weeks. So it's nice to see Lonzo kind of uh, get the job as the initiator and uh, take the job as the closer at the end. And he took he took it. So that was good to see. Yeah, it, it looks like a one-on-three finger roll layup in the paint or a two-dribble pull-up mid-range with a hand in your face. And granted, when Brandon hits those shots, it's beautiful. But like you said, it's just nice to see something else happen at the end of the games. Um, that was a UCLA Lazo shot through and through. I was like, I did not care. I could have turned the game off. I didn't care if it went in or not. I was like, just do that. Just keep doing that. Have the confidence to do that. Um, the one thing that did not, and I completely understand, but the one thing that rubbed me the wrong way a bit was that that last play of the game when we had like 2.9 seconds or whatever, um, where, you know, Lonzo threw the ball into Kuzma and Steven Adams just completely ignored Lonzo on the inbounds and just went to double Kuz in the corner. And Kuz, granted, that was excellent footwork to like stay in bounds and get that shot off. But I was like, yo, Zoe's wide open right now. Yeah, in, in fairness to Kuz, that's a really tough pass. I mean, Adams and I believe, uh, I think it was Ferguson on him at the time, and, like, they trapped him. So, and he had, like, 2.9 seconds, and he, I don't even know how he, like, pirouetted around and took a fadeaway jumper that hit rim. Uh, but, yeah, uh, he probably could have tried to get Lonzo open right there. 
But um, yeah, somehow that shot hit the rim, which I was pretty shocked. I, I, yeah, that was a tough I, I appreciate you defending Kuzma there because it was necessary. Sometimes I get a little too emotional. I get a little too into it, uh, especially when Lonzo's actually having a good game. I'm like, oh. uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, that was really that was really awesome, Kuzma, to be able to get that shot off. I honestly, even though I was like, "What are you doing?" at the same time, I was like, "Oh my god, that's about to go in." Um, yeah, no idea how I got that close. <laughs> I, I do think. I do think. Um, that part of the reason, and I, and I don't want to, obviously, basketball is, like, basketball is a game, people get injured. I, I believe that part of the reason we were able to keep it so close is that Schroeder sort of like, I, I don't know if he had a dead leg or, or what happened, um, and went out of the game for a fair amount of time. Um, and, and I think that's what sort of, honestly, that's what sort of helped our bench unit stay afloat is that they lost one of their one of their best threats on the bench, one of their initiators. Um, but at the same time, like, yeah. both of our primary ball handlers are injured, so, like, I can't even, like, it is what it is. Um, um, yeah. And yeah, like I said, uh, we, we can sort of wrap out the OKC game um, and I'll ask you your final thoughts, but it was, it was just nice to see. It could have been, it would have been very easy to take like take a, a, a moral victory, so to speak, um, and, and push, you know, the third place team in the West uh, to, to overtime um, and then fold. But it was just it was incredible to see them sort of close the game out, especially after like after those two losses to the Knicks uh, and the Cavs, and then that, that win for the Bulls, which there are moral victories, and then there are Pyrrhic victories, which is like a victory when you win, but like at what cost? And I feel like that Bulls one was almost a Pyrrhic victory. It was like, okay, we got the W in the standings, but guys, what the hell is going on? Um, it, it was nice to get an actual win, an actual That's victory. true, yeah. They looked like they were kind of sleepwalking through the Bulls and somehow still got a win because the Bulls are just that bad. But um, yeah, it was really good to see. And I want to give like Brandon some love that – his defense, his defense on Paul George in the fourth quarter and the overtime was just uh, him and Zubac. Actually, they were trapping every Paul George pick and roll, and uh, Ingram had Paul George kind of second guessing on all of his kind of decisions to shoot. And I tweeted, I think when the game was over, I don't think Paul George really took a shot from like the middle fourth quarter till the end of overtime. And then look back, he actually took only one shot, which I believe was like a three pointer or something like that. But, yeah, his uh, defense on him was really good. And I think they try to wait and put Brandon on, like, the best defender at the end of games, which um, I guess has sometimes mixed results. But it worked out really well tonight. I thought he did great on him, even though he struggled with his shot. Uh, yeah, I thought he had a pretty good game overall still. Yeah, when he got that dunk towards the end of the game, I was like, just, yes, put some points on the board because I'm going to go to work. And people are going to be like, oh, Brandon didn't score and ignore the defense and ignore the career high assists. Um I love, obviously, I love Brandon. Obviously, I love Zoe, but I love those guys because, like, even when they're not scoring, they have a feel for the game. And when Brandon's, and when Brandon's playing unselfishly and playing great defense, like he can have, I don't want to say the same effect that Lonzo can have because I, I honestly think Lonzo is kind of incredible. But he, they, they just have a feel for the game, and, and you sort of remember why they were so highly touted uh, coming out of school. Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, when Brandon's not told he has to be the like point guard, he's like a tall wing with like really good, you know vision and uh, passing ability so and he's one of the few guys I think I told earlier that OKC they, they're like number one deflections they have they have like so much insane length just all over the floor but he's one of the few guys that I, I can like see over it and uh, pass pass through it so yeah, he picked up I believe 10 assists in the first half so yeah he did a good job finding other guys and uh, doing other things than trying to score. I'm going to have to like rewatch a little bit of the game because I, you know, I was so excited at the way at the fight we were playing with it. I didn't really like, 
pay attention to how they were playing on some defense. And you mentioned they were, you know, OKC's first in deflection. They're also first or towards the top, I should say, in a lot of different hustle stats. They're just, they're just really good um, on defense. Yeah. So for us to put up the amount of yeah. points that we did in regulation and OT was, was sort of incredible to me. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's enough. We can put a, we can put a bow on on the OKC game. Um, and now we get back to uh, previewing the Houston game, which you know. I hope there's no fight. That's the only thing yeah. I can say. Like, I want it to be a nice, clean, nice, clean game. Um, Houston actually, Houston actually was coming off of a game uh, very similar to very similar to the game we just had, where they lost uh, in overtime to a team they quote unquote weren't supposed to lose to. Uh, hard to say that because, as you know, Brooklyn like Brooklyn puts up a fight every single game. Like, it's hard to say, oh, we shouldn't have lost to Brooklyn. They're they're they don't have an easy out ever. Um, so. I, you know, Harden scored, I think, right. 58, 58, another 58-point triple-double, I believe, in that game. Um, and I, I don't know if he's just going to be – if he's going to be exhausted uh, when he plays against the Lakers or if, you know, he's going to come out with, you know, the the, 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 whole, the whole we shouldn't have lost that last game, so I'm going to make sure uh, we win this one. It, it's a completely different team than we than, than the Lakers faced uh, early in the season. No Chris Ball, no Clint Capella. Um, so it, it should – I hate saying this about injuries, but it should help out the Lakers a little bit because you know uh, uh, we're going up against you know Isaiah Hartenstein and 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 Marquise Chris and and Nene who doesn't even play like back to backs at all. Um, but that being said, like it, it's going to be obviously there's no containing Harden. I'm curious as to who do you think uh, Luke's going to deploy to try and slow Harden down a little bit, uh, or, or obviously he's going to do it by committee. But but who are you excited to see guard Harden? Yeah, so I'm pretty sure he starts with uh, KCP on Harden and then um, kind of moves different defenders on him as the game goes on. I'll probably throw Alonzo and Ingram kind of. But basically, like, no one guy guards Harden, you know? It's going to be, like, traps and, like, trying to just throw different things at him. He's just going berserk right now um, through the whole league. So hopefully they can try. He He's due for a bad game, though, right? Like, he's due for at least one, one bad game and maybe <laughs> – Saturday is that, um, but yeah, he scored fifty last time we played them um, in Houston. Uh, so we'll see if we can kind of do better <laughs> this time. But uh, yeah, it's another tough. Just he's just a tough matchup to go against. He's probably like the most frustrating player to watch against you, you know, because like it's just like a slow, like very deliberate type of basketball, and uh, he's either gonna get a foul, or he's gonna take a step back, um, and. Yeah, it's just nothing you can really do except hope they miss us, I guess. <laughs> I think because um, Brooklyn was doing that um, against Harden. They were trapping him, and they were doubling him. And I think it worked to a certain extent uh, because, I, I mean, I don't even know if it worked to a certain extent, 58-point triple-double. Um, but I think, like you said, that's going to be key for the Lakers because, like, Capella sort of improved in his, in his ability to make plays in that in that four on three off the short roll, but like that's not something right. that Marquise Chris or Isaiah Side are known for. And if if they go with you know PJ Tucker at the five or, or do, you know do something wonky like that, then like I feel like that's going to get heavily abused on the other end of the floor, especially if Zubats is doing his Will Chamberlain Will Chamberlain impression uh, during the game and like only missing two shots. Uh, even Kobe had a bad game in 06, like once. Like you're right, he has to something has to give. Um, uh, on the other end of the on the other yeah. end of the floor though, uh, like we said, like their 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 depth is a bit depleted. 
Um, so uh, do you anticipate anybody sort of yeah. having a special game on the offensive end for us? Who, who are you looking for to have a game, uh, whether that's like Brandon having a bounce back or Lonzo continues aggressiveness or, or trying to trying to take advantage of the, of the lack of depth at center for them? What do you anticipate offensively? Yeah, definitely. I hope uh, Lonzo continue, continues to stay aggressive and uh, Brandon can kind of continue having like a good floor game um, if his shot's not kind of working early. But I'd like to see Josh Hart kind of continue to get going as well. He hit two threes um, in Oklahoma City. He only took, I believe, four shots from three-point land. Um, I feel like he can kind of get hot a little better. We're going to need like a total team effort again to obviously win in Houston. And obviously, yeah, they're short-handed, but James Harden is going to play pretty much the whole game. So you kind of have to score to keep up uh, with him. So, yeah, I'm hoping the young core kind of comes through again. Um, I don't expect Zubac to go again for 26-12, and 12, but if he can run. <laughs> he was running the floor like crazy against Oklahoma City, and hopefully he can do that again. Um, I expect, like, a really fast pace and see if Kuzma can stay hot as well. So we'll see. But, um, yeah, I'd like to see Lonzo just continue to just build on what he had here, you know. Uh, I don't want to see him go back to, like, shooting only a couple times, you know. It seems like he's really turned a corner in terms of his confidence. So hope that keeps going in Houston. Uh, you mentioned Hart, and we can wrap up soon after this, and you can sort of transition from answering this question to this question to, to giving your, your, you know, your last thoughts on, on just looking forward and what's been happening in the season recently. But uh, I'm sorry to put you on the spot here, but you mentioned Josh Hart and how I think he's you sort of – I don't want to say getting – been a little bit more passive, but you know, ever since the starting lineup change, I feel like I haven't seen him seen his effect on the floor as much on the offensive end, at least. And I just want to see you know, what what your thoughts were about you know Luke changing up the starting lineup, putting in putting in Tyson, uh, how that's affected the defense, or, or how you think that's affected KCP and, and Josh uh, and how they've been playing. Yeah, I think uh, that was actually a pretty good move. Um, KCP kind of they run like good sets for KCP, kind of gets the offense more organized as well. Um, they try to run it for Hart, but he's not as good shooting off of these screens right now. And uh, KCP has been like shooting really well. So uh, I thought that was a good move. And JaVale's obviously still being affected by the pneumonia. I mean, he was, um, he was, he had one of the worst uh, of ratings on the team for the last few weeks. So I thought uh, putting in Tyson kind of to stabilize um, Tyson's not been like, awesome either but uh, kind of just gives them something else and JaVale can kind of come into the game and kind of feel his way uh, and work his way back slowly so I thought it was pretty good um, and yeah I thought Josh Hart just his rebounding you know Oklahoma City was just insane and it was good to see him kind of affect other ways uh, we haven't seen the rebounding as as much this year as um, last year so it's good to see him get back on that but yeah I thought it was a good move um, KCP kind of earned the starting job right now um, that could change as the year goes on but for now yeah, I think it was really good and gives them another knockdown shooter in the in the lineup. All right, man. Well, well hopefully, hopefully, um, the Lakers will come out with the same intensity that they did against the Thunder on Saturday against Houston, nationally televised matchup, and keep showing what they can do without LeBron. Um, Rob's been really great to have him on. This is, this is at unwritten rules. The rules with a three instead of an E on Twitter. Go ahead and follow, follow my man on Twitter. Um, post a lot of clips, uh, some nice video breakdowns, just letting us know what happened throughout the game. Uh, Raj, you want to you play anything else? I know you I know you started writing again, so I think um, I think everybody's excited about that. Everybody who follows you on Twitter is right, uh, excited about that. Uh, yeah, um, so on my pinned tweet uh, at Unwritten Rules, um, I have a story on Brandon Ingram's effect on defense, and I'm kind of proud of that one. Um, but, yeah, it's been great to be here. Um, it's my first podcast ever, so I was a little nervous at first. But, yeah, this was really fun, and 
really cool to do. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're, you're a natural at this. Uh, so I, I don't know who's listening to the podcast that doesn't already follow you on Twitter, but go ahead and follow him on Twitter. But uh, follow on Medium. Wow. Uh, but it's nice to have somebody with some analysis on other than my continual emotional ranting and storytelling. Um, but yeah, man, I appreciate you. Appreciate you coming on. Um, and, and let's get one on Saturday. Uh, yeah, no problem. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. All right. This has been Basketball Reasons.